Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Frantz Stefan. In this episode and in the next five episodes, I will be defending the United States of America. Crazy idea. What? Patriotic? Nuthead? What's wrong with you? You probably like Trump too. Eh. I was born and raised in San Francisco. I spent about three years in Eastern Europe. And throughout that time in those places, a lot of people would level criticisms on the United States. Criticism that I felt went a bit too far. These are not crazy people. These are people that utter criticisms that are quite popular. And by the way, I criticize the United States quite a bit. If you've read my books, I make fun of the country, poke, uh, point out its flaws often. And so I'm not some sort of gung-ho, nuthead, patriotic dude that blindly loves the country that he just happened to be born in by no choice or it was a complete accident. At the same time, I felt that it was time to kind of defend these five issues I'll talk about. So each episode will have one of the issues. So I'm going to go ahead and, and read this popular series that is on my website because I realize not everybody reads and some people prefer to hear things on a podcast. Part one will be about defending American foreign policy. Part two is defending the CIA. Part three about American smiles. Part four is about American ignorance. And the part five will be defending American culture. Let's start with part one, which is defending American foreign policy. And I'll read from my website and hope that you will share and enjoy it. And again, thank you to my patrons at patreon.com for supporting me. You go to patreon.com slash ftapon. You'll be able to get some insights. You'll be able to get stuff that I don't share anywhere else. And you'll get it all for a measly $2 a month. At least that's the starting price. You also get my book as I'm writing it, the book about Africa. So here I go. Throughout Eastern Europe, I have asked, what can your country teach America? I've documented their excellent answers in the hidden Europe, what Eastern Europeans can teach us. As part of this process, Europeans often told me, quite bluntly, what they think of Americans. The fact that I'm half European and that I have no American blood in me, I was born of a French father and a Chilean mother, probably made them more comfortable to share their true thoughts. I had often heard similar criticisms in Western Europe. Now, after getting an earful, it became clear that there are few things that Americans can teach Europeans about America. There are five themes that Europeans wail against Americans. Number one, America's foreign policy shows that we're a warmongering, imperialistic nation. Number two, that the CIA is behind everything. Number three, that Americans are fake. Number four, that Americans are ignorant. And number five, Americans are devoid of culture. There's a lot of truth to these five criticisms. In fact, in my book, I often make fun of these things. However, let's load up the aircraft carriers and the stealth bombers and blast away at the five most common criticisms about Americans. Let's start with the first one. And then the other podcasts will address the other four. You know, you're welcome to jump and listen to whatever podcast you like. So let's start with part one. What Americans can teach Europeans about American foreign policy. Now, Europeans say, America is imperialistic. It starts wars and the CIA is everywhere. True, true, true. America's foreign policy is indeed aggressive. However, let's examine this more closely. First, it's important to realize that at any point in history, 
there is at least one superpower or empire. You can't get around this. Some might whine, but why does there have to be a dominant power at any given time? Why can't all nations just be equally powerful? Well, you don't need to be Machiavelli to see how cute and idealistic such a question is. The short answer is power is relative, so whichever country is relatively more powerful than nearly all the others is the superpower du jour. Accept this like you accept gravity. The world has seen many empires. Egypt, Greece, Rome, Genghis Khan, the Ottoman Empire, the Persian Empire, France with Napoleon, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Russian-Soviet Empire, the Japanese Empire, the Prussian and German Empire, uh, Denmark, Spain, Portugal, the United Kingdom, and even those loony Vikings had a quasi-empire. The most recent addition to this long list of empires is the American Empire. Of all these empires, none have been softer and less controlling than America. For example, previous empires would crush and swallow conquered enemies. When Rome conquered a new land, that land became part of the Roman Empire. When Spain, Britain, France, and the Dutch conquered the New World, those territories effectively became states under their empires. However, when America subdues a country, it doesn't make it the 51st state, forcing everyone to learn English and to use the U.S. dollar. For instance, after helping liberate Europe in World War II, America didn't try to put any Western European country under the United States, like Russia put Eastern Europe or Central and Central Asia under the USSR in the 14 Soviet republics and the various Eastern Bloc satellites that it had. Instead, the U.S. took a much softer approach, giving all the countries back to its people. Past empires would have made Iraq the 51st state, but the United States didn't. Although America sent its military to several Central American and Caribbean nations in the 20th century, it never made any of those territories a state, even though it easily could have. After World War II, it controlled the tiny Pacific island of Guam and kept operating foreign military bases there, which had been set up to fight off the more aggressive empires of Nazi Germany and Japan. However, the United States didn't make Guam the 51st state either. In short, previous empires always expanded their territory directly, often imposing its government, its language, its currency, and culture. However, America has, at least since the 20th century, shown remarkable restraint. Yes, the U.S. acted like most empires in its early history. But it has never been as powerful as it has been in the last 70 years. But it hasn't added a state to its empire since then. Some say that's because we're no longer in the day and age when such blatant empire building is acceptable. Yet, Russia added plenty of countries under its own belt after World War II when it did it through the Soviet Union, and that wasn't that long ago. More of previous empires would expand when they could. Napoleon, Hitler, and Genghis Khan conquered the land around them 
because they could. Yet, how easy would it be for the United States to conquer Canada or Central America or a few Caribbean islands? Indeed, just 150 years ago, American troops marched all the way to the capital of Mexico, forcing the Mexicans to surrender. Instead of slicing all of Mexico into American states, which is what previous empire builders would have done, the U.S. bought only the contested land from Mexico and assumed all debts Mexico owed to Americans. That's quite different from Europeans who would not only take the land without paying, but would also force the loser to pay reparation. Moreover, previous emperors would never let such a juicy target like Canada just sit there. They would invent some phony war to rally Americans, claiming that we must unite Alaska with the United States by swallowing Canada up, making one contiguous nation. It's like Germany absorbed Austria before World War II. By absorbing Canada, the United States would surpass Russia as the biggest nation in the world, something that would be irresistible for any empire builder. However, we are not only pretty nice to the Canadians, we even let them beat us in ice hockey. Now, America is not a saint. Its early history, especially regarding the Native Americans, is filled with evil acts. Today, America can still be brutal, tyrannical, hypocritical, and unjust. There's no doubt about it. Americans are humans, after all. All nations have done terrible acts to not only its neighbors, but to its own citizens. And America is guilty, too. Moreover, it's true that Americans enforce their imperialistic domination through economic and diplomatic arm-twisting. America may not own Mexico or Canada, but those countries and many others often have to bend to America's will. On the other hand, what country wouldn't exercise its power? If Slovakia or Lithuania really wanted something for its people, wouldn't it twist a few arms to get it if it could? Governments serve its people, or at least its politicians. That's their job. So if a government can help its rich get richer, its poor get jobs, its businesses get new markets, its economy get bigger, or its standard of living get higher, then the government will do it. It would be bizarre if they didn't. Therefore, it's natural that the U.S. will play dirty games to get its way. However, compared to previous empires, America's methods are far less cruel. Whenever you see America twisting someone's arm, ask yourself, what would Hitler, what would Stalin, Napoleon, Genghis Khan, Caesar, or the pharaohs have done? Would you prefer that? Europeans rarely recognize that of all the empires the world has ever seen, none have been gentler and less heavy-handed than the American Empire. Someday they might, because it's inevitable that one day the American Empire will fade away just like previous empires. 
And by definition, a new empire will rule in its place. Maybe it will be China, or maybe Russia, who knows? Whoever it is, it's likely that most people of the world will have some nostalgia about the American empire and say, you know what? Those fucking Americans may have been imperialistic bastards, but they sucked a lot less than today's superpower. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. This is part two of a five-part series about what Americans can teach Europeans. If you didn't listen to part one, which was about defending American foreign policy, go listen to that and the introduction to the whole series. This is a short, in fact, the shortest of the five parts. It's about the CIA defending it. Now, several Eastern Europeans thought I worked for the CIA. And by the way, the same thing happened in Africa. They asked, why else would you be in Albania? What else would you be doing in the Congo? It's hilarious what Eastern Europeans seriously believe that the CIA does. A Slovenian told me that the weird weather that they were experiencing was due to the CIA testing wacky weather-controlling weapons nearby. Now, if someone famous, or at least semi-famous, died unexpectedly, the CIA killed him. The CIA controls all elections, they say. But what if an anti-American candidate wins, I would say? Then they would say, I'll tell you why. It's because the CIA wanted that anti-American candidate to win so that they could use that as an excuse to invade the country. Or another thing that they might say is, well, somehow it fits into the grand plan, the world domination of the United States. <laughs> A Bulgarian told me that the Illuminati and the CIA control Obama and other world leaders. The CIA, he assured me, was the puppet master behind everything, including what you had for breakfast this morning. Although it's fun to believe that the CIA controls the universe, let's stop smoking pot for one minute. The CIA is so ignorant that it often can't find its house keys. The CIA controls so little that it can't even choose what color to paint its buildings. It's just another bumbling, inefficient, bureaucratic government organization whose right hand doesn't know what its left hand is doing. The CIA morons couldn't even assassinate Fidel Castro, a leader from a puny island right next to America. How lame is that? Now, of course, the CIA has had its clever moments, but it is often ignorant and powerless. Unfortunately, there's no way for me to prove this to someone who really wants to believe in conspiracy theories, so I'm not going to even try. Part of me would like to keep the myth about the omnipotent CIA alive. As long as other nations continue to believe that the CIA is an all-knowing, all-powerful entity, well then, They'll fear the United States and will never attack it. They'll say, well, maybe we're attacking America because that's exactly what the CIA wants us to do. They'll second-guess their actions and be scared to challenge the godlike CIA. Therefore, if I have not convinced you, good. Keep believing that the CIA is under your bed because, of course, 
It probably is. That's the end of part two. Enjoy part three next week on the WanderLearn podcast. Go to wanderlearn.com to learn more about it. Go to patreon.com slash ftapon to sign up and get rewards. I got some pretty awesome rewards that I give to my patrons there. So it's definitely worth signing up for. Thank you to Kathy Edgar, who supports me and likes to draw attention to Health Access Sumbawa. It's a wonderful organization that is helping develop Indonesia's poorest regions. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. This is part three of a five-part series about defending America. It's on my website. It's got a lot of shares, especially this particular episode, which is defending the American smile. Because a lot of people, I guess, somehow Google American smile and then my article pops up in the first page. So I'll read this article to you because who the hell reads anymore? Let's go. Europeans often criticize the American smile. They say that Americans are fake because they often smile when they're not really happy. Americans pretend to be happy to see you when we're not. A customer service representative might greet you with a cheery, Hi! How can I help you? When she's really a mean bitch. Eastern Europeans somehow think that they are superior because they give you a scowl instead of a smile. Frankly, I'll take a fake smile any day over a sincere scowl. I might delude myself, but I don't care. It just feels better. Why, when you have the choice between giving a smile or a frown, should we opt for a frown? The waiter and the person at the checkout counter has a choice. Why not put on a smile? Some may say it's not simply a choice between a frown and a smile. There's a third way the European way, which is a neutral face. This, Europeans claim, is the most sincere. Why should the store manager representative smile at you when he doesn't even know you? That's insincere, the Europeans argue. It's better to have a neutral face. Okay, look at yourself in the mirror and put on your best neutral face. Imagine someone just walked into your store and you're wearing that neutral face. What does it look like to the customer? It looks a bit cold, distant, unfriendly, and unapproachable. Obviously, a frown is even worse, but the neutral look is off-putting too. Furthermore, the neutral look would be fine if the customer service agent would immediately brighten up once she found out that you're not trying to rape her daughter. However, they don't. Even after you smile and are friendly, they often keep that same neutral, ambivalent face throughout the transaction. In Eastern Europe, the neutral look will sometimes turn into a tirade against your simplest attempts of communication. It all makes for a lousy and cold experience. 
the Eastern European tries a different argument. Fine. So, we're a bit cold at the beginning, but eventually we warm up. And when we do, you'll have a friend for life. So what? I say. Do you want a freaking medal? Hey, here's a newsflash, guys. Americans make lifelong friends, too. Like any human, we usually take our time before reaching that point. The difference is that we don't use that as an excuse to be an asshole at the beginning. Moreover, the American smile isn't as fake as it seems. Many Americans are genuinely happy. Americans are positive people who usually give strangers the benefit of the doubt. There are plenty of cynical Americans, but when it comes to one-on-one interactions, Americans often assume that the other person is a good guy, and that makes them sincerely smile. Of course, I have a cultural bias because I grew up in America, the land of the smiles. However, America doesn't have a monopoly on smiles. Most people from Asia, Latin America, Africa, and Oceania all tend to wear a smile on their face by default. Their service personnel smile warmly often. In other words, judged on a global scale, Americans aren't weird because they smile so much. It's the Eastern Europeans who are weird because they smile so little. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn and listen to the rest of this series. Next week, I'll have the Defending American Ignorance, which is my most popular of the five articles that I wrote. So stay tuned for that. Also, go to wanderlearn.com to sign up for my newsletter. Go to patreon.com to learn a little bit more about how you can get rewarded for supporting my crazy projects. And finally, thank you to Health Access Sumbawa and to Kathy Edgar. Go to healthaccesssumbawa.com and check out a wonderful charity to support. Again, this is Fran Stapon encouraging you to wander and learn. Welcome to the Wonder Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. In this episode, I'm going to be, once again, defending America. This is my most popular article. It has about 500 shares on my website. It has tens of thousands of views. And it's part four of my five-part series called What Americans Can Teach Europeans. So it's a little bit hard to follow along because I have a lot of graphs and pictures and things like that on my website on this article, but I think it totally makes sense even if you just listen to it. So I will go ahead and read it, and I hope you enjoy it and share it recklessly with lots of people who say that Americans are ignorant. So let's examine geography first. For example, someone from Slovakia often feels smart because he can name at least 10 countries near him and explain what's basically going on there. He says Americans are stupid because they can't do this. Humans are regionally focused. Today, for the average human, that radius of interest and knowledge might be about 500 kilometers. For someone in Nebraska, that means being able to name 10 states around him. For someone in Belgium, that means 10 countries. The level of geographic knowledge is effectively the same. 
Europe and the United States are roughly the same size. Although it's true that a Nebraskan won't find Belgium on the map, it's also true that a Belgian won't find Kansas on the map. And, by the way, neither will find Togo or Cambodia on the map. People are generally ignorant of anything that is beyond their geographic radius of knowledge. The same goes for being aware of what's going on. The Nebraskan will know what's going on in Iowa, Missouri, Indiana, and maybe California. Meanwhile, the Belgian will have an idea of the general affairs in Luxembourg, Denmark, Germany, and maybe Greece. They're all about the same distance from each other. The only difference is that one crosses country lines while the other crosses state lines. And of course, the American won't know what's going on in those European countries, just like the European won't know what's going on in those particular American states. Americans won't know about the floods in Romania any more than a Romanian will know about the tornadoes in Oklahoma. However, the European persists and says that Americans don't know anything about world events, and yet everyone knows what's going on in America. In fact, one Latvian told me she was upset because she knows so much about America, and Americans don't know anything about Latvia. I said, you know, it's tough to break the news to you, but Latvia's physical economic, and political size is insignificant. And it's really painful to tell the same thing to the French. But it's true. Europeans know what's going on in America not because they're more worldly and sophisticated, but because America has a lot of influence in their affairs. America knows little about individual European countries because not one European country has much impact on America, except perhaps Britain or Russia. Most Europeans don't know much more than Americans about what's going on in Uruguay, New Zealand, and Namibia, because those countries are far and insignificant to them. And those countries don't give a shit about all those tiny European countries either. In addition, educated Europeans who do know lots of stuff about the world often compare themselves with non-educated Americans. They walk through New York and tell people, Hi, I'm from Bulgaria. Do you know where that is? And then they're horrified that New Yorkers don't know crap about Bulgaria and conclude that Americans are geographically ignorant idiots unlike the brilliant Bulgarians. Meanwhile, a girl from Laos goes to Bulgaria and asks the people she meets, do you know where Laos is? You can guess the response. So please, folks, listen. Compare an educated, well-traveled American with an educated, well-traveled European. Or compare an American on the street with the European on the street. Either way, you'll discover the difference isn't that big. Most who complain about these issues come from countries much smaller than the United States. The smaller the country, the more they're forced to look outside because they quickly exhaust the business and travel opportunities in their own country. Go live in Belgium and see how fast you get bored. People who live in big countries can spend their whole lives there and not get bored. 
It's not that we're more stupid or have a bad education, although both of these may be true, but it's primarily because learning about a big country is complex enough. Now, should Americans learn more about the world and its languages? Absolutely. We should all be flogged for our ignorance. And we should also flog ignorant people from other big countries like the Chinese, the Brazilians, the Russians, and the French. Why the French? Well, their country is smaller than Texas, so what's wrong with that? Well, it's always a good idea to flog the French whenever you get a chance. In short, it's true that Americans are ignorant about world affairs, and it's a shame given how much influence the United States has globally. However, Europeans are also pretty ignorant about affairs outside of Europe, which is their geographic focus. They know about America and China because these two large economies influence everybody's lives. Yes, Europeans know more about Africa and Asia than Americans, but Americans often know more about Central and South America than Europeans. Another common criticism about Americans is that we don't travel internationally. Again, the scale distorts everything. A Hungarian feels well-traveled because he's been to 10 countries. However, most of them are probably near Hungary. If someone from Iowa logs the same miles as a Hungarian, she won't even leave the United States. At best, she'll have visited Mexico and Canada or the Caribbean, which is what many Americans do. In other words, the Iowan might feel well-traveled if he's been to 10 states. Each state in America is about the size of a European country. Germany is the size of Montana. Poland is the size of New Mexico. Slovenia is the size of New Jersey. Belarus is the size of Kansas. And Greece is the size of Alabama. And by the way, as a side note here, it's not in the article, but Another reason we didn't travel much internationally in the past, prior to 9-11, is that we didn't need to have a passport to travel to Canada and Mexico and the Caribbean islands. We could just do it with a driver's license. So as a result, only about 20% of Americans even had a passport. And Europeans would point that out and say, Ah, look at that! Only 20% of Americans have a passport! Every European has a passport. Right! Because in Europe, you couldn't travel more than 100 kilometers before you needed a passport to get out of the country. And there was much more force. But Americans could travel quite a bit of areas without a passport. Now, that all that changed after uh, September 11, when the United States started to implement this. And now uh, the passport ratio has gone from 1 in 5 to 1 in 3. And I think pretty soon it should go to half. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the United States might, in fact, even force Americans to eventually adopt a passport. But don't quote me on that. I think I just heard that somewhere. But don't quote me. Anyway, regardless, passport ownership is going up, and as a result, the tedious process of getting a passport, since you've got to do it anyway in order to go to Mexico or Canada nowadays, or the Caribbean, now that they have the passport, they say, well, now, okay, I'll go to visit Europe or Asia or or South America or other places now that they have it. But in the past, people just didn't want to deal with the hassle. Anyway, that's a complete side note. All right, back to the article. We're halfway done. Americans are criticized for not speaking foreign languages. Geography explains this quite a bit. The Netherlands is a tiny country 
which is surrounded by countries that don't speak Dutch. They don't speak four languages because they want to. They do it because they have to. How much incentive you have to learn a foreign language depends on, number one, the size of your country, and number two, the pervasiveness of your language. For instance, Americans rarely speak foreign languages well because we're a huge country and English speakers are everywhere. Russians and Chinese speak foreign languages as well as Americans. Yeah, that bad. Neither of these big countries with their pervasive languages has much incentive to learn anything else. Slovenians live in a tiny country, and few outside their country speak Slovenian, so they must learn multiple languages. It's not that Americans are stupid or Slovenians are smart. Everyone is just practical. Furthermore, most Europeans can speak only their native tongue. My favorite pastime is asking Europeans if they speak a foreign language. The results are dismal. The true polyglots come from countries where just a few million people speak their language, places like Andorra, Slovenia, or the Nordic. And finally, ignorance often goes hand-in-hand with being provincials, and Europeans are far more provincial than Americans. Wherever you are in Europe, ask the people you meet where they're from. The answer is almost always the same. I'm from here. They were born and raised in the town you meet them in, they still live there, and they have no plans to leave. Stanford University researchers have found a strong correspondence between the genetics and geographic origins of Europeans. In fact, 90% of Europeans live within 700 kilometers, that's about 400 miles, of where they were born. And 50% live within 300 kilometers of where they were born. Ask the same question in America, and you'll rarely get such an answer. People are usually immigrants, even if it means moving from Chicago to Miami. In San Francisco, people often are shocked when I tell them that I was born and raised here. Wow, I've never met anyone who was born here. You're a native. They make it sound like I'm a Native American. Because Americans move around much more than Europeans, Americans are less provincial than Europeans. In fact, Europe is so ridiculously provincial that most of their countries are far from unified. Spain and Switzerland each have four language regions in their small countries. That alone discourages them from moving around within their country. And the idea of moving a few hundred kilometers to live in a neighboring country is scary. Italians are so regionally focused that they hardly know what's happening on the other side of the local hill. One reason so many strong European dialects persist is that people refuse to venture far. Eastern Europeans are filled with so many prejudices about people who live just a few hundred kilometers away from them because they spent so little time there. Instead, they find jobs locally, they marry locally, and they die locally. Conclusion. I am embarrassed that Americans are so poorly traveled and so bad at geography and languages. Although other big countries are not much better, they usually are better. And yes, Europeans do in fact 
know more about geography and world affairs than most Americans. However, the difference is not as big as Europeans like to believe. Moreover, I wish the American media devoted as much time to news from developing nations as the European media does. On the other hand, I often assume that other countries know much more about the world than Americans, and I'm often disappointed to learn that it's not accurate. In conclusion, it's true, Americans are ignorant about many things. However, Europeans are hardly much better, and sometimes their provincialism makes them worse. I hope you've enjoyed part four of this five-part series. Share it. This article about ignorance struck a nerve because, like I said, it's one of my most popular articles on my website. In the article, if you go to search for Defending American Ignorance, you'll find a few graphs, but I'll summarize them quite easily. Pew Research polls show that the news interest, people are quite interested in news from the United States. They follow it closely um, all over the world, and it's pretty much universal. And that Americans with more education are more interested in news from abroad. That's another thing that this Pew Research poll showed. And also they're interested in news from other countries. And Americans are also more interested in news about Russia than Russia is interested in the United States. Let me repeat that. Americans are more interested in news about Russia than Russians are interested in news about the United States. So... There's something to be said there. So enjoy this series. Hope you go back and uh, listen to the rest of it. Next week, I will conclude with part five of five of the Defending American series, which is Defending American Culture. I also encourage you to go to patreon.com slash ftapon to become a patron. And you can do it for as little as $2 a month and you get rewards for that. It's pretty cool. Thank you to Health Access Sumbawa for all the things that, that they are doing in Indonesia. Go to healthaccesssumbawa.com. You can also listen to my podcast about them. And thank you to all my patrons who make this podcast possible. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. Welcome to the Wonder Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Stapon. This is the fifth and final segment on the series of what Americans can teach Europeans. This one is about defending American culture. If you missed the previous episodes, it's about defending American foreign policy. Number two was defending the CIA. Number three was defending the American smile. Number four was defending American ignorance. And so now we're defending American culture. This is one of my uh, popular articles on my website, so I'm just going to share it with you because who the hell has time to read anymore? Again, this is addressed mostly to Europeans because the Europeans would often say that this stuff. So here we go. Snobby Europeans love to say that Americans have no cuisine, no culture, no history. Now let's refute this belief. We'll begin with food. First, Americans brought hamburgers, and Coca-Cola to the world. The French, and many others, will immediately sniff and say, That doesn't count. Really? And foie gras does? 
That's a dish that is prepared by force-feeding a poor duck. Now that's really classy and sophisticated. Big Macs start looking like haute cuisine. Moreover, America's unique cuisine doesn't end with a cheeseburger and a Coke. We've either invented or popularized banana splits, brownies, buffalo wings, cheese steaks, corn dogs, cotton candy, corn on the cob, donuts, fried chicken, fudge, garden burgers, grits, hot dogs, ice cream cones, jello, macaroni and cheese, mashed potatoes, onion rings, pancakes, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, pecan pie, popcorn, popsicles, potato chips, rice crispy treats, root beer float, the shoe pie, sloppy joe, submarine sandwiches, and of course, the Twinkie. Now, not only does this list prove that Americans have plenty of dishes that are uniquely ours, but this list also explains why we are so incredibly fat. Obviously, American cuisine isn't the most nutritious cuisine on the planet. The point is that we have invented plenty of dishes. Besides, it's impossible to find any national cuisine that is 100% healthy. Since the Japanese live the longest, they have arguably the best diet around. However, even the Japanese eat plenty of deep-fried foods and white rice, and they often wash it down with beer or sake. Yes, Americans have one of the least healthy diets on the planet. On the other hand, I've never found a country that can make salads that are as delicious as the ones you can find in California. Finally, America is better than any other country at welcoming and eating exotic food from all over the world. Try finding a non-Italian cuisine in Italy. And by the way, as a side note, I didn't write this in the article, but I just it came to mind that the Impossible Burger and other vegetarian uh, meat-free options have been developed in America, and America is actually leading the charge, along with Israel, to develop um, animal-free meat, so you know lab-cultured meat and that kind of stuff, which if you haven't heard about, you probably will at some point. So that's another innovation in the area of cuisine. Getting back to the article. The other insult that Europeans like to fling at Americans is that we have no culture. Really? That's funny. Because it seems that no other country does a better job at exporting its culture than America does. It's hard to go anywhere on the planet and meet people who do not know about American music, television, books, movies, sports, and cuisine, which includes the fast food that we invented. Cultural snobs will say that that doesn't count and that that's not real culture. Well, who decided that? Why is the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark not as culturally significant as Schindler's List? They're both masterpieces and they both happen to be directed by the same American. Is Michael Jordan not as important as Roger Federer, the Swiss tennis player? Is Elvis less important than Mozart? If American TV is so bad, why do I see it in every country I go? It's hard to go anywhere and not see the Discovery Channel. Every country copies American Idol and other popular TV shows. 
The world copies American culture. The copying of American culture is so pervasive that most people who complain about globalization are really complaining about Americanization. Snobs insist that all this is low culture. First, that's ignorant and subjective, but let's play along. If you want high culture, quote-unquote high culture, then consider American writers such as Mark Twain, Fitzgerald, Edgar Allan Poe, Thoreau, T.S. Eliot, Kerouac, Tennessee Williams. Or consider American fashion designers like Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein, Levi Strauss. Or American visual artists like Giorgio Keith, Pollock, Warhol, Rockwell, Ansel Adams, and the sculptors of Washington, D.C.'s monuments. American composers such as Irving Berlin, Scott, Scott Joplin, Philip Glass, George Gershwin, John Williams. American chefs like Emerald, Natalie Dupree, Alice Waters, Julia Child, Anthony Bourdain. And American architects like Julia Morgan, Buckminster Fuller, Frank Lloyd Wright. If you admire skyscrapers, remember that Americans were the first to make those too. In short, Americans have culture in both the high and low flavors. Finally, the last put down that Europeans lobs uh, that Europeans lob at Americans is that Americans have no history. Quote unquote, you have no history. You are such a young nation. You're you're nothing. You just were invented yesterday. Well, sadly, this insults the Native Americans more than anyone else. Tell the descendants of the Incas, the Mayas, the Aztecs that they have no history. Tell the Native Americans in North America that they have no history when most historians estimate that they were running around America ever since they crossed the land bridge near the Bering Strait 12,000 years ago. Several Northern European nations were not even populated until 8,000 years ago. American history, therefore, is at least 4,000 years older than the Scandinavian and Baltic history. Besides, Many of Europe's impressive buildings are only a few hundred years old. Boston's Fenoy Hall was built in 1743. That isn't much younger than many of the Europeans' most treasured buildings. The dirty little secret that few Europeans will talk about is that many of their quote-unquote old buildings were recently constructed from scratch. For example, Warsaw and Dresden look like old cities but all their buildings are younger than Disneyland. That's right, younger than Disneyland. Although Eurasians were better at documenting their ancient history than Americans were, it doesn't mean that Americans don't have any history. It just means you have to look a bit harder, but it's there. At best, a few European countries claim that they started in the 7th century, but many were they were born around the 11th century. However, those quote-unquote nations were fragile and had far more pronounced regional identities than national ones. They weren't like modern nations today, but rather fiefdoms and small territories clumped together in a quasi-union. Even today, European countries are more regionally focused than nationally focused. In other words, 500 years ago, European nations 
were not much different than the American nations of the Aztecs, Incas, Comanche, and the Sioux Indians. Just like Europeans, Native Americans had a hierarchical government, languages, and culture. It's incredibly Eurocentric and ignorant to argue that American history started with the arrival of the Europeans. Yet that's exactly what many Europeans implicitly do when they say that America has no history. That's like the Turks saying that European history started when the Ottomans invaded the Balkans 500 years ago. The Slavs would be furious to hear that. The Turks displaced, killed, and mixed with Slavs just like Europeans killed, displaced, and mixed with the Native Americans. Some Europeans backpedal out of this argument by saying, Oh, wait, we're not saying that the American continent has no history. We're just saying that America, the country, is young and doesn't have any history. And your country does? Apart from Iceland, America has the oldest government in existence. Most European countries formed new governments and new constitutions less than 70 years ago. I hope this shuts up the snobs throughout the world who keep spreading the stupid idea that America has no cuisine, no culture, and no history. Although I've been picking on the Europeans, other people are also guilty of promoting this idea. Even Americans do it. It's time we educate those who are ignorant. In short, I'm not asking you to like American cuisine, culture, and history. I'm just asking everyone to stop believing that we don't have any. I guess I should read my conclusion, and this is it. Europeans are right to criticize America's foreign policy and the CIA because both can be aggressive and unfair. However, let's give the American empire credit for being the most benign empire ever. Let's also admit that the CIA doesn't know and control everything. Similarly, Europeans have a fair point when they say that Americans are fake, ignorant, and a, li a little bit lowbrow culturally. However, when compared to typical Europeans, we're not that bad. Pass this on to anyone who tries to argue otherwise, and tell them that a half-French, half-Chilean person wrote it. Someone with no American blood in him. Europeans have much to teach Americans, which is why I have written a 740-page book which captures the lessons that Eastern Europe can teach us. However, this article series is for Europeans so that they can learn a little bit about America and have a more realistic perspective on the United States. Lastly, do Americans have five criticisms about the Europeans too? No, we don't. Just one criticism that we have. We wish Europeans would catch up to the rest of the world cultures by being a bit more open, warm, friendly, and smiling. Have a nice day. I hope you've enjoyed this five-part series about what Americans can teach Europeans. It's a break from my traditional podcast that I've been doing, but I felt like occasionally mixing things up a bit and let me know what you think. Go to wanderlearn.com, click on the episode and make a comment about the episode that you listened to. And I love hearing your comments. If you have questions or concerns, go ahead and message them to me. You can email me at ft at francistapon.com. If you want to support my crazy efforts at traveling the world, 
making podcasts, making videos, and doing all the things I do, go to patreon.com slash ftapon.